Well, our text, <laughs> it's really 1 John 3, 11 to 24. Um, tonight, I think I'll get through 11 and 12. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, the title is, What's Love Got to Do With It? And this is part one of likely part three. I think there'll be three parts to this, uh, but we'll see after tonight. I'll know better after tonight. Here's the big idea. God's people, right, the church, believers, must love one another like Christ and always for Christ. So we love like Christ, the way he's loved us, and we love for Christ, for his glory. Now, let me uh, give you some scenarios, and I want you to think about what's missing, right? Okay, well, I guess I'm going to tell you, but you'll, you'll see the point. Imagine a baseball team with no pitcher, and there were so many good, if you watch Major League Baseball, there were so many good teams <coughs> offensively this year. They just lacked the depth in pitching. Pitching is everything in baseball. So again, imagine a baseball team with no pitcher, a classroom with no teacher. Think about this one. A cake with no icing. That's a travesty. A home with no roof. When these things are missing, the thing that they are associated with is no longer possible no longer effective, no longer viable. What about a church without love? A church without love. Let's read the text. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 10. I'm going to start in verse 10. I'll read to 24, but again, I think, we'll see. I think we'll get through a few verses. <clears throat> There's five questions I want to address, and I think we'll get through the first, maybe the second. Um, the Lord knows. For this is, next verse 10. Uh, by this, it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that's a good transition into really our main text, right? Verses 11 to 24. But how he ends that, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and, there it is again, love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, the major theme is obvious, the imperative, the command, it repeats itself, we are to love one another love the brothers that is shorthand for fellow believers right so christians are to love each other again a church without love 
<laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, according to John, what is one, not the only, but what is one of the evidences that you're a child of God? You love your brother, right? Verse 10. Start in verse 10, and we'll move forward. By this it is evident who are the children of God. You're like on your oh, on the edge of your seat. All right, here's the evidence, okay? Here's the evidence that you're a child of God. And who are the children of the devil? Okay, so there's evidence for that as well. We talked about this a few weeks back. It's been a while, I know. But in 1 John, there's two camps, right? There's Who are the two camps? There's those who belong to the Lord and those who belong to the evil one. And there's different behaviors associated with those two camps, right? We could say, very simply, that those who belong to God love and those who belong to Satan they hate. All right. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So love for our fellow believers is evidence that we belong to God and not who? Satan or the evil one. John then continues with the theme of love in 1 John 3 all the way from 11 to 24. That is the main theme in those verses. Love marks those who belong to God. Now, would we say vertical love marks those who belong to God? I mean, those who belong to God love God. Amen? Amen. But the focus here is on the horizontal love. It's love for fellow believers. So again, love marks those who belong to God. The absence of love marks those who belong to the evil one. You know, John Stott, he's written some really helpful commentaries. Um, Romans is probably his best. Someone actually asked me about a Romans commentary recently. And I don't think they're in this room. And I mentioned Stott. Just, it's really helpful. Um, but he speaks of this section, 1 John 3, 11 to 18, as the test of social love. We know we belong to God by our love for one another. So I want us to engage with this test, this assessment today pertaining to love. And I want us to ask ourselves... Are our lives, is my life marked by love, specifically Christ-like love for fellow believers? Now, I'm going to use a definition. I'm going to add to it. What is love? What is this word agape? The verb is agapao. It means to sacrificially pursue the good of another. Okay? It's a costly love. Who's the ultimate example of that, of costly love? Christ. His love cost his life. And if we're going to imitate that love, our love for others needs to be costly. So it's a love that is costly, it's sacrificial, and it's for the good of others. So here's the definition, and I'm going to add to it. If you can write this down, love is sacrificially pursuing the good of others for the glory of God. And I'll add to this as we go, but love is sacrificially pursuing the good of others for the glory of God. Now, the world might say, well, yeah, I agree with the first half, sacrificially pursuing the good of others, but it stops there. It's because it makes me feel good, right? Maybe it puts me in the limelight. Man, that was really kind that you did that. Oh, I know. Did you see what I did, right? The Christian love is different. We love with a view to God's what? His glory. His glory. All right, so um, <laughs> the big section is 1 John 3, 11 to 24. And the big theme is what? Love. Love for fellow believers. Love one another. All right, so 
this larger section, which I promise you we're not going to get through tonight. I promise you that. Maybe a third of it. It addresses five questions. These are big questions related to love. And we'll try to get to the first two today. Number one, why love? Why love? The command is there. The command is obvious. It's repeated. But why do it? Well, I think as Christians we would say because the Lord God commands it. And that's enough for us. Amen? But we'll go a little more in depth. Okay? Why love? Number two, what is love? Because we might, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to love. God commands me to do it. And I want to do what he commands me to do. But what do I do? <laughs> I mean, what, what is this love? What does it look like in practice? That's number two. Number three, what does our love reveal? Number four, what about when we don't love? And number five, how do we love? There I'm talking about not so much what does it look like, but literally how do we do it? How do we do it? Where do we go to look for the strength to love this way? So those are the five questions that will probably take the next three weeks to answer. All right? It's a big section, a really important section in 1 John. It's really at the heart of the letter. It's in the middle. All right? So number one, why love? Let me read one more time verses 11 to 15. All right? For this is the message. Now listen carefully here. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. I'll talk about that. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So the world's known for what? Hate. And Christians should be known for love. If you've read John's Gospel, I know we're in it right now. We'll start chapter 4 this Sunday, but this sounds a lot like John 15, right? It really does. So don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Man, and now it gets really heavy. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. All right, so the question is, why love? Why love? Let me give you an A and a B. A. A, we're answering the question, what? Why love? A, because it's part of the gospel. I'm thinking, what? It's part of the gospel? Let me explain. The call to love goes back to the good news of Jesus Christ that these early believers and we ourselves have accepted in faith by God's grace. All right, so remember the gospel isn't just about forgiveness, but what? transformation as well. The gospel tells us that because Christ lived the life we could not live due to sin, right? He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live due to our sin. We can't live that life, can we? And then he died the death we deserve in our place. And then he rose victoriously from the dead, proving that what he did worked, that we who believe in him are not just forgiven, but we're made new. So in Christ, we receive a new nature with new desires. We can now do what? We can now love one another, which is further evidence of the new birth by the Holy Spirit. Now, he talks about, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. What does that refer to from the beginning? I believe it refers to the beginning of their faith, their relationship with Jesus. 
this is what they've known. They've had this command ever since they started following who? Jesus. This is what was handed down to them from the teachings of Jesus. And what is the message? That we should love one another. Now, I know we're not Greek scholars. I don't, even, I don't consider myself a Greek scholar. Please don't think that. I've taken a lot of Greek, and I love Greek, and I can read Greek, but I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm your pastor. If I was a Greek scholar, I'd probably be teaching at some seminary right now, okay? Actually, I wouldn't be because I want to be a pastor. Anyway, <coughs> he uses the present active subjunctive. You're thinking, who cares? What does that mean? Well, we've, we've learned this in Greek. When a verb is in the present tense, what kind of action does it denote? Continuous or ongoing. And a subjunctive is more like, a, here it's called a hortatory subjunctive. It's more like a command. So here's how the Greek should read. We must continually, we must, we must continually. Here's the message that they'd heard from the beginning. We must, everybody say must. must. Not we should, not it's a good idea, not, you know, if you feel like it. No, we must do what? Love one another how often? Continuously. Okay. Who commands this? In the Great Commission, Jesus charged his disciples and all followers of Jesus for that matter to do what? To teach disciples of Jesus all that Jesus commanded them. And what did Jesus command? What does Jesus teach regarding love? Well, let's go to John. John 13, 34. I don't think I put these in your handout. Uh, I don't think I did. I'd write this down. This is a good one to go back to. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to do what? Love one another. So what's the command? We're to love one another. John 15, 12. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17. So just, you can just put comma 17, same chapter. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then I'm going to step outside of John and go to Romans 13, 8. Because who authorized Paul to write? Who sent Paul? Christ, right? He was an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he's sent and authorized by Jesus. So this is still the word of Jesus. This is God's word. Paul writes here, Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Again, why love? Why love? Because it flows out of our spirit-enabled response to the gospel. It's a response of gratitude and joyful obedience to the king for his saving work. And, and more on that later. Remember, the gospel works to restore both vertically and horizontally, right? So through faith in Jesus, we are saved and transformed to love God, to relate to him according to his will, and to love one another, and to relate to one another according to his will. Now, we mustn't get the order wrong. Let me explain. We aren't saved by our love, right? Think about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God, listen. I have loved so well this year, you owe me forgiveness. No, we can never say that because our love always falls what? It always falls short. God doesn't say, well, Dave, it looks like you simply didn't meet your love quota for the year. You're out of here, bud. No, thankfully that's not the case, right? 
We're not saved by love, we're saved to love, right? Through the regenerating work of the Spirit and the imparting of a new nature, we're moved to do what? To love one another. And this is evidence that we belong to the King. Again, why love? Here's B. I do have this in your notes, right? A and B. Why love? Because we have a new king and are citizens of a new kingdom. How does our king act? What is he characterized by? Love. So those who are citizens of his kingdom should imitate who? The king. We should be known for our love. Um, let me step back a little bit. What did we learn from 1 John? I know this has been like, man, what, four or five weeks what did we learn from 1 John regarding the evil one? 1 John, actually I preached on this, um, our candlelight service, so it wasn't that long ago. Less than a month. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? To destroy the works of the devil, right? The devil seeks to kill through deception. The devil's objective is threefold. He seeks to separate, accuse, and kill to separate, accuse, and kill. And those who belong to him are marked by an ongoing pattern of sin. They reject God as king. Now, in 1 John 3.12, it's our next verse, John gives us a biblical example of someone who belonged to the evil one. And who is it? It goes back to Genesis chapter 4. Cain, right? Verse 12, Cain, verse 12. We should not be like who? Cain, who was of the evil one. How do we know? What's the evidence? What did he do? He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's what? Righteous. Those who belong to the devil do what their father does. 1 Peter 5.8 Your adversary the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Cain was of the evil one and thus he did what the evil one does. He killed. Right? I made this point several weeks back. Children do what they see their father doing. Who was Cain's father, his spiritual father? The evil one, right? It's evidence of who they belong to. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's what? Righteous. Now, what does this mean? Cain, rather than rejoicing in Abel's deeds, deeds that obviously pleased the Creator, what did he do? He snuffed out his brother's life. I remember the first time I taught this to my boys, they were like, wait, what? He killed him? Because, like, you know, Dad, we, we fight some, but he, he killed him? Like, yeah, I man, he's, he's dead. He, he killed his brother. They were appalled, right? Cain, and we should be appalled, right? This is what sin looks like. This is what those who belong to the evil one do. He opposed righteousness. He didn't want to see it continue, so he snuffed it out. Cain's identity, who he belonged to, was made manifest by his actions. So those who belong to the devil, they oppose God. They don't want to see him worshipped as king. In fact, their M.O. is to oppose all who do. Okay, And this segues so nicely into verse 13. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world what? hate you. Verse 12 answers the question of why does the world hate those who belong to God? Why does the world oppose God's church? If we ever find 
that the world loves Celtic's First Baptist Church, we should be very afraid. We're doing something wrong, okay? Because the world is under the destructive rule of the evil one, and therefore the world is characterized by hatred for the righteousness of God and his righteous people. Now, remember, by world, John is not referring here to the created world, but specifically to what? We've defined cosmos, every attitude, every system, every worldview that seeks to live independently of who? Of God, right? And oppose God. So don't, if you're, I remember in high school, man, I was, I was passionate for Jesus. I'm still passionate for Jesus, but I mean, I shared the gospel in high school. You know, I, I told people do you think people are like, oh, Chris, we can't wait to hear you talk about Jesus. No, people thought I was stupid, right? I got made fun of. I never got beat up or anything like that. But they didn't want to hear it, right? The world opposes the gospel. So don't be surprised if your coworkers ridicule you for doing what? Following Jesus. Why? Because they are of the world. And the world is in league with the evil one, the opponent of God par excellence. Verse 14. I love this verse. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Oh, man. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, let me just say something here. Maybe you're thinking, oh, man, I don't, I don't do this perfectly. I mean, sometimes I get angry with fellow believers. Sometimes... I get frustrated. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say, so I must not belong to God. Are you bothered by that? Do you think God expects perfection? Now, does he demand perfection? Yes. But does he expect it from us? No. Who was perfect for us? Christ. Who lived for us? Christ. Who died for us? Christ. Who empowers us to live like Christ? The Spirit. Right. But are we going to do this perfectly? I don't. My, I, I, the reason I say that is I don't want you to walk away not thinking, man, I must not be saved because I don't do this perfectly. Well, we're not going to do it perfectly. Do we strive and long to do it perfectly? And when we don't do it perfectly, does it bother us? Yes, as believers, it shouldn't. But can we still rest in the gospel, the fact that Jesus did do it perfectly and he now represents us? And one day we will. That is the hope. Right? That's going back to 1 John 3. And what is that? When we see him, we shall be like him. Amen, brother. That's good. So we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So not only do those who lack love demonstrate that they belong to the evil one and thus oppose God and those who are for God, but it further reveals that they're what? They're spiritually dead. Those who do not love continue in the realm of death. They show that they remain separate from God. Those who do love demonstrate their new citizenship and thus their new allegiance to their new king. Okay, How can one know whether or not they have passed out of death into life? <coughs> the text says because we love the brothers. Our love evidences our new citizenship and our new king. 
the, the language of passing out of death into life is salvation language. Paul uses this language. It's new birth language. This is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's been a transfer. And if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, then you're marked by what? What's the evidence that you belong to that new kingdom? Your love, right? First John is all about assurance. And one way that we can know that we belong to God and not the evil one and have been made new is by our what? Our love for one another. Now, there was a show, I don't know when this came out, probably, uh, I want to say maybe like 2005, a show called Lost. And what was the guy, Desmond? And what did he always call people? Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Right? Everybody was brother. Now, is that a term of endearment in the Bible? Or does it re refer to something specifically? Like, I mean, hey, brother. What's up, brother? Right? Hey, brother. In the Bible, in the New Testament, that designation refers to fellow believer, brother in Christ. Right? Do you know that Christians in the early church... They were accused of incest. I think I've shared that. Do you know why? When you're married to your brother, well, not my biological, my brother in Christ. Whatever you say, <laughs> I'm out of here. First John is all about assurance, right? Again, brothers. Brothers is not a general reference for humanity, but a specific designation for all who believe in Jesus Christ. So, again, this doesn't mean that we're not to love unbelievers. We should. But the focus in 1 John is on love for fellow believers, right? Um, when a baseball player is purchased by a new team, he has to leave his old team, right? You now belong to a new team. There's a transfer, and this results not only in a new team, but a new jersey, a new manager, a, a new stadium. All things are new, right? These things are evidences, they're markers of the transfer, when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's evidence of a divine transfer. We've been transferred, right? And we're evidenced by our love. What is John saying to the church? He's saying, you're not like Cain. You're not of the world. You do not belong to the evil one. Therefore, live as those who belong to God and love one another. Again, an unbeliever might be tempted to say here, I consider myself a very loving person. Therefore, I must be okay with God. If the litmus test for believer versus unbeliever is the evidence of love, well, I'm very loving. But that's to miss the order. It's not, I love, therefore I'm saved, but rather I'm saved, therefore I love. I've trusted in Jesus by grace. I've been forgiven, and I've been transformed by the Spirit and therefore, I am now able to sacrificially love like my king and for whose glory? His glory. All right. Verse 15. We're moving. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, that's a startling verse. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer? Now, this doesn't mean that everyone who hates and thus rejects love, has killed another human or is destined to do so. Rather, 
the language that John uses is meant to convey the utter seriousness of what? Hatred. I mean, hatred's a serious thing. It is akin to murder. Now, this verse, verse 15, moves us to look in two directions. First, the immediate context. In verse 12, we see that the reason Cain murdered his brother was because he belonged to who? Belonged to the evil one. He had hatred residing in his heart. He practiced evil as opposed to righteousness, and therefore he opposed righteousness. Now, the verb to hate, it's miseo in the Greek. It can mean two things. I think a few weeks back, we looked at, it was 1 John, let me see where we were. 1 John 2.9. There, in that context, miseo can mean just a disregard for somebody. I'm just going to disregard them, right? But it can also mean this. It can mean a strong aversion to somebody. Hostility amidst hatred, even wishing them harm. And I think that is the sense being used here, right? That's the meaning here. Now, the second place we need to look is the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you thought I was going to go there. Well, I am. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think we're all familiar with, well, most of us should be familiar with that. If not, it's okay. You're thinking, okay, well, yeah, I mean, Murder, judgment, liable to judgment. Yeah, that makes sense. Amen. But then he goes on to say, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa. Whoa. To hate is to align yourself with the ultimate hater, who is Satan. And therefore, what is true of him is true of you. Again, we have two camps and then two practices being emphasized throughout 1 John. There are those who belong to God and are marked by love, righteousness, and there are those who belong to the devil and are marked by miseo, hate. Those who are of the evil one who hate have murderous intentions residing in their hearts. They seek to oppose God, his righteous rule, and all those who are for him, right? John Stott writes, and he quotes Calvin here, which is funny. Uh, I mean, I love Calvin, but yeah, I'm quoting somebody who's quoting somebody else. That's why it's funny. Um, it's like when you look in those mirrors and like you see like, anyways. In equating the hater with the murderer, John is not exaggerating. For we wish him to perish whom we hate. That's Calvin. Stott goes on to say, so hatred is murder. And it is true to say that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Now, a great example of this would be unregenerate who? Think in the New Testament. Who was guilty of murder before he was converted? Acts 9. Saul, right? Saul. What was Paul's objective before his conversion? Due to his hatred for Christ and followers of Christ, he opposed the church, right? And this opposition was brought to fruition through murder. That was the end goal of his hatred. That was the ultimate expression of his hatred. Those who hate are clearly aligned with the murderer, Satan, and are thus murderers themselves. Those who are of Christ are reckoned as righteous. Those who are of the devil are reckoned as murderers. Now, what's the result? What's the result? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Those whose lives are marked by hatred and not love are murderers and therefore have no eternal life abiding in them. Now, there's a warning here for the church. There's a warning here. Assess your life today in light of these verses. Haters beware. Seriously, think about this. Now, what's the solution? The solution is not moral reform, right? Try harder to love and not hate. That's not the solution. The solution is new birth by the Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel. Let me summarize. Let me summarize. According to John in 1 John 3, 11 to 15, why love? Now, as we saw first, it is part of the gospel message that we heard from the beginning. The good news concerns the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as God's provision to the sin problem separating us from him. Amen? It's through Christ and his saving work that we receive forgiveness through our trust in him. By trusting in Christ, we are reconciled to God and transformed to live as his new creation people. We are transformed to live differently. And this is seen in how we love. It's part of our discipleship. Making disciples includes going out to proclaim the gospel. Those who embrace the gospel are then baptized. And then those who are baptized are taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And that includes love, love. Again, John 13, 35. I love this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the proof or evidence that we're disciples of Jesus? It's our love for one another. Secondly, we love. Why love? Because we are the king's people and citizens of his kingdom. Again, these two reasons flow together. We love because it's part of the king's message. And we love because we belong to the king and his people. And that's what we do. Why love? That's what the king's people made regenerate by the spirit do. Why love? That's what the king's people do. If you belong to the king, that's what you do, right? When you become a follower of Jesus, having been born again by the spirit of God, your new nature moves you to say, what does my king command? What does he command of me? And the king commands that we love one another. When the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts through the hearing of the gospel, we're made aware of two things. Our new king, Jesus, and our new marching orders, his word. Again, King Jesus commands in his authoritative word that we do what? That we love one another. But what does this love look like? 718. Let me see if I can get to here. And you don't know where that is, but I do. Number two, what is love? Don't sing. Don't you dare. What is love? Verse, yeah, verses 16 to 18. By this we know love. So we've answered the question, why love? Question number two, what is love? By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. The gospel in seven words, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. Hey, Haley? Yeah. 
I saw Clark peeking through the window. Yeah. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I love verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Are you all familiar with that verse? That's a good one. So 1 John 3, 11 to 15 is all about loving our fellow believers. Should we love the world? Meaning unbelievers, yes. And the best way we can do that is by telling them the good news. Amen? But the focus here in 1 John is on love among fellow believers. Again, that's emphasized throughout. You heard that in our passage. It's evidence that one belongs to God, has been born of God. But what does this love look like? What should it look like? Maybe the better question is, who does it look like? Who does it look like? Where do we go or where do we look to know love? We look to the cross. Amen? If you want to know love, go to the cross. Think, think of Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where does Paul point us? To the cross. Amen? Let's look more closely at verse 16. Again, we're seeking to answer the question, what is love? Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know. We know. That's, a, that's an important word, gnosko in the Greek. It refers to an experiential knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. We know love as Christians because we've experienced it. it it's transformed us. Amen? God's love in Christ has changed us. We've been transformed by it. What this is, namely this ultimate expression of love, is found in the phrase, He laid down His life for us. The gospel in seven words. Seven words. Now two things stand out here. One, He laid down His life. Tithimi. Sounds like Timothy, but Tithimi. It literally means, the Greek there, to lay down his life, to give up his life, to give it up. Remember our definition for love. What is it? To sacrificially pursue the good of another for, for Christ's glory. Good brother. He laid down his life. He did this on his own accord. John 10, 18. Jesus says, no one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I laid down my life on my own accord. I laid it down on my own accord. Here's the first takeaway. I, I did put this in your notes, didn't I? The first takeaway. Love is that was never mind. <laughs> Sorry for I think it was was it last Sunday or no two Sundays ago two Sundays ago, the sermon on prayer, and I kept saying look at your handout. I made a handout, but it never got printed, so I'm sorry. Everybody's like, what are you talking about, man? The first takeaway: love is voluntary and sacrificial. It's costly. That's the first takeaway. What is love? It's voluntary and sacrificial. It's costly. Two, he did that for us. It's the Greek word or the phrase, huper himon. Huper means in place of, on behalf of, for, for the sake of. It was in our place and for us or on our behalf are good. Here's the second takeaway. Love is for the benefit of others. It's voluntary and sacrificial. That's part one. First takeaway. The second takeaway, love is for the benefit of others. He did that for us. It's for the good of another. 
Now, this is likely an intentional echo of Jesus' words in John 10, 11. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does he do? He lays down his life for who pair on behalf of, in place of, the sheep. What is love? It's costly, and it's for the benefit of others. Amen? It's costly. It's sacrificial, and it's for the benefit of others. Again, the cross is the ultimate expression of love. Now, let's pause for a moment and think about the most important question imaginable. Have you experienced this love? Have you responded to it? Have you repented and believed? So, God's love is seen at the cross where the perfect Son of God laid down His life for sinners. How have you responded to that love? Have you turned from sin? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you said, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. I deserve death. I deserve separation. I deserve God's wrath. But Jesus, you took that for me. You satisfied the wrath of a good and holy God in my place for me. I need you. I want you. I love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm all in. How have you responded to this love? Now, the last half of verse 16, and we'll, we'll stop here, is extraordinary. Okay? <laughs> you're thinking, okay, I get it. I get that love. Woo! I mean, you're excited about that love, right? I mean, you should be. I mean, have you experienced it? Do you know it? That love? You've trusted in Jesus? You know that love? And here's where it gets crazy. This is the extraordinary piece. The love that we see in the gospel is to be practiced by those who've been transformed by the gospel. Whoa! So that same love, not I have to, but I get to imitate. I get to live out. I get to practice. Colin Cruz writes, The sort of love exemplified in Christ's death is love which expends itself in the interests of others. Again, recall our definition from earlier. Love is voluntarily, I'm going to add to it now, voluntarily and sacrificially pursuing the good of others for the glory of God. Love is voluntarily and sacrificially pursuing the good of others for the glory of God. And again, this fits so well with the love of Jesus seen at the cross. Jesus, I'm going to end with this, has voluntarily and sacrificially done the greatest good to us by giving his life for us. Amen? He's done the greatest good to us by giving his life for us. He voluntarily gave his life for us. And this is how we're called to love one another. Let me stop there. Let me pray. Father, we are in awe of your love, the love that was poured out at the cross where, Father, you gave up your son. And Jesus, as the perfect son of God, you gave up your life. You sacrificed voluntarily your life for sinners like us so that we could be brought back into fellowship with you. And for that, we say thank you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would press that love deep into our hearts and then move us to imitate that love toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that the way that we love would put the cross on display. Help us to love voluntarily and sacrificially 
to pursue the good of others, God, for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.